A disease is any condition in which the normal functions or structures of the body are damaged or impaired. An infection is the colonization of a host by a microorganism, and infections can lead to disease, which cause signs which are measurable or observable indications of disease, like elevated temperature, elevated heart rate, and they can also cause symptoms. And these are subjective indications of disease that the patient experiences, like nausea or loss of appetite or pain. A syndrome is a specific group of signs and symptoms characteristic of a particular disease. Some diseases may be asymptomatic where there are not any noticeable or overt signs of disease. Like for example, this could include someone who is infected with the herpes simplex virus where they are largely asymptomatic and are unaware that they have become infected. The World Health Organization International Classification of Diseases, the WHO ICD, classifies diseases and monitors morbidity and mortality of the disease. Morbidity is the number of cases of a disease, whereas mortality is the number of deaths due to that particular disease. The WHO has designed a classification system of infectious diseases, and an infectious disease is any disease caused by a direct effect of a pathogen, and it can be a bacteria or it could be a virus, etc. Infectious diseases can be broken down into communicable diseases, and a communicable disease is a disease that is capable of being spread from person to person through direct or indirect direct mechanisms. There are some communicable diseases that are considered to be contagious, meaning that they are easily spread from person to person. For example, measles is a contagious disease in which the virus is transmitted through coughs or sneezes from an infected person to an uninfected person who might breathe in these droplets. Another contagious disease is gonorrhea, which is transmitted by the pathogen Neisseria gonorrhea. While both of these are infectious, gonorrhea requires close intimate contact, usually sexual, in order for an infected person to infect an uninfected person. There are diseases that are considered to be iatrogenic, and these are those that result from a medical procedure like surgery or wound treatments. An example of this would be the bacterium Clostridium perfringens, which is often a causative agent of necrotizing fasciitis, which is a flesh-eating disease. Nosocomial, or healthcare-acquired diseases, are those that are acquired in hospital settings. A couple of reasons why these are easily transmitted is because of the fact that there are a lot of surfaces in hospitals hospitals that may harbor microbial growth. These might include call buttons or door handles or medical equipments to bed sheets. And sometimes you might have clinicians, nurses, or therapists who might not properly wash their hands in between patients and can transmit disease that way. Another thing to consider is that many people in hospitals are often immunocompromised and are more susceptible to secondary infections. There are diseases known as zoonotic diseases. These are diseases that are transmitted from an animal to a human. And an example of this would be rabies, which is a viral zoonotic disease that can be spread from animals to humans through bites and contact with infected saliva. There are some zoonotic diseases that can rely on insects to transmit them into humans, which might include malaria, which is transmitted through mosquitoes. Non-communicable infectious diseases are those that are not easily spread from one person to another. So for example, this will include tetanus, which is a disease caused by the bacterium Clostridium tetani. This bacterium often can be found in soil. It is endosporic forming and it's usually transmitted through contact with a skin wound.
While this class is microbiology and we focus on infectious diseases, since these are the ones caused by microorganisms, it is important to note that there are non-infectious diseases that do account for high morbidity and mortality rates across the world. These are going to include diseases that are often related to genetics, environmental conditions, or immune system functioning. An example of this would include sickle cell anemia, which is shown on this slide here, which is a genetic disorder that arises from a mutation in genes that later results into a different amino acid that becomes produced during transcription and translation, and this amino acid affects the red blood cell shape in the human body. These red blood cells tend to be crescent or moon-shaped, and they are unable to deliver as much oxygen as the normal functioning red blood cells would. There are four phases of infection and disease. These include incubation, the prodromal period, invasion, as well as the convalescent stage. And the convalescent stage often includes the period of decline and the period of convalescence. And to convalesce means to return to normal. The incubation period is a time from initial contact with the infectious organism to the appearance of the first symptoms. The prodromal period is when the earliest notable symptoms of infections appear. The period of invasion is when the infectious agent multiplies at high levels and exhibits its greatest virulence, and it becomes well established within the host tissue. The convalescent stage is the period in which the patient returns back to normal and symptoms and infection decline. On this graph here, on the far left side, we have the number of pathogen particles, and this is represented by the red line on the graph. On the far right side, we have the severity of symptoms, and this is represented by the blue line on the graph. On the x-axis, we have time, and we can see that this chart is broken up into the different periods of disease. We have the incubation period, which is when you have an acute disease after the initial entry of the pathogen into the host. You'll find that during this time, the pathogen slowly starts to multiply, but there's really not enough particles in the cell for the patient to experience any type of symptom. As as we kick into the prodromal period, you'll see that the pathogen will begin to multiply at higher rates and the host will begin to experience these general signs and symptoms like soreness, maybe swelling, or inflammation. The period of illness is when the signs and symptoms of the disease are the most obvious and severe and the period in which the pathogen really reaches high numbers. The period of illness is followed by the period of decline, which is when the number of pathogen particles begin to decrease and the signs and symptoms of the illness begin to decline as well. The final period is known as the period of convalescence, which is when the signs and symptoms decline and the pathogen begins to decrease. However, it is important to know that there are some diseases that can cause permanent damage to the host in which the body cannot fully repair. The duration of the period of illness does differ between pathogens and it often is also going to be related to the immune response of the host and whether or not the person has received any medical treatment. An acute disease is one that occurs over a very short period of time, like hours to weeks, and it often has a rapid onset. A latent disease is one in which the pathogen tends to go dormant for extended periods of times before having active growth. A chronic disease is one that can have pathologic changes over long periods of time, the ability to identify pathogens is very important to understanding the best treatment method for individuals. And in today's world, we rely on a systemic approach that was originally developed by Robert Koch that are four steps or four postulates to confirming whether or not an organism can cause a specific disease. 
The first one is that the suspected causative agent or the suspected pathogen is not seen in healthy individuals, like in the mice model that we see up there. We have a healthy mouse, and when we study their blood, there are no noticeable agents of disease in their blood system. However, when we look at a diseased organism, we can see that they do have a suspected agent and they're shown in green. So the next thing that must be done is that the causative agent from the diseased organism must be isolated into a pure culture. That organism must then be able to be injected into a brand new organism that's healthy and cause disease in that organism. And then if that newly diseased organism is then taken for further analysis and they are found to have the same pathogen agent in their system, the causative agent must be isolated and it must be the same isolated organism as seen previously. We now have more advances in technology that have really revealed the limitations of Coach's work, although we still do use some of his primary principles. One thing to discuss is that Coach assumed that pathogens could only be found in diseased individuals. We now know that there are some pathogenic organisms that can remain in human hosts for periods of time where they do not cause active disease. He also assumed that healthy individuals were all equally susceptible to disease. We now know that isn't true, as we all have completely different genomes, each have our own unique microbiome, and we all have different immune systems that can really influence our susceptibility to different types of diseases. And then he also assumed that pathogens can be grown in pure cultures. And we know from lab that not every microorganism out there can be grown in a pure culture in a lab setting, since many of them often do only have human hosts. There was a term mentioned earlier known as virulence, and to understand virulence, the first thing that must be done is to understand pathogenicity, which is the ability of a microorganism to cause disease. And virulence is a classification level of the ability to cause infection and damage caused by a particular organism. Virulence is going to be a continuum in which one end of the spectrum are organisms that are not very harmful, so they're considered to be avirulent. And on the other end of the spectrum, there are organisms that are highly virulent. Virulence of a pathogen can be quantified using controlled experiments. And there are two important indicators of virulence, the infectious dose, which is ID50, or the lethal dose, which is LD50. The ID50 is the number of pathogens needed to cause infection in 50% of the test subjects. The LD50 is the number of pathogens or toxin needed to kill 50% of the exposed test subjects. On this graph here, we have the lethal dose, or the LD50, and on the y-axis, we have the percent mortality in the experimental group, and on the x-axis, we have the number of pathogenic agents. On this graph here, we can see that when you carry 50% to the blue curved line here, we can see that 50% of this experimental group has died at a pathogenic agent concentration of 1 times 10 to the 4th. So in this diagram here, the LD50 is 1 times 10 to the 4th. Here is a table showing the ID50, which is the number of pathogens needed to cause infection in 50% of the exposed test subjects of different microorganisms. The one I'm going to focus on here is the protozoa, which is Giardia lamblia and Cryptosporidium parvum. Giardia has an ID50 of 1, whereas Cryptosporidium has an ID50 of 10 to 100. Just from this one example, you can tell that Giardia lamblia is more virulent than Cryptosporidium. There are primary pathogens and opportunistic pathogens. Primary pathogen is an infectious agent with a defined ID50 that is capable of causing infection and disease in healthy individuals. This can include E. coli or the enterohemorrhagic E. coli that causes bloody diarrhea. Opportunistic pathogens are those that are capable of causing infection in only immunocompromised individuals like Staphylococcus epidermis 
epidermitis. Usually staphylococcus epidermitis can cause infections when individuals are exposed to urinary catheters that touch the skin, bringing staphylococcus inside in which it can cause infection. The stages of pathogenicity include exposure, adhesion, invasion, as well as infection. Exposure is the initial contact of the pathogen and how they access the human body through a portal of entry. The portal of entry is an anatomical site in which pathogens pass into host tissue. This can include the eyes, the mouth, the ear, the urethra, the vagina, broken skin, or insect bite. One thing to note is that mucosal surfaces are the most important entryways for microorganisms. Adhesion is when the bacteria stick to the surface of a host tissue. Bacteria rely on fimbriae, flagella, the glycocalyx. Protozoans can rely on hooks, and viruses can rely on the spikes on their capsids. On this image here, we can see bacteria on the surface of a medical catheter. Invasion is the dissemination of a pathogenic microorganism within local tissues of the body. And here we have two examples. The first one, we have a bacterium known as Helobacter pylori, in which this microorganism has the ability to release an enzyme known as Urease. The enzyme neutralizes the stomach acid, which can cause the mucin gel layer that lines the stomach to deteriorate and liquefy, allowing for the bacterium to burrow through and access the epithelial tissue underneath the stomach mucus lining. Another example are bacteria that have the ability to secrete enzymes to dissolve host defense barriers, such as antibodies, which are the green Ys shown there, to prevent the immune response from detecting the pathogen early on to allow for the microorganism to spread into deeper tissues. In regards to infection, there are three main types. There are local infections in which the infection is in a small area of the body, usually near the portal of entry that the pathogen invaded. A focal infection is when the pathogen or even a toxin produced by the pathogen can spread to a second location in the host. And a systemic infection is when the infection caused by the pathogen scatters throughout the host. A local infection example would be a staph aureus infection you know, around a skin wound. A focal infection would be if streptococcus bacteria from the oral cavity enter into the bloodstream and can spread to other areas areas of the body, and a systemic example would be the varicella zoster virus that causes chickenpox. Transmission of disease relies on the portal of exit, which is the anatomical site through which the pathogens leave. This can include the placenta, mammary glands, the eyes, the nose, the mouth, as well as the ear, and insect bites. Epidemiology is a study of how disease originates and spreads within a population. Epidemiology has an overall goal of preventing outbreaks and containing them when they do occur. When it comes to analyzing diseases in populations, epidemiologists often study the morbidity, the mortality, the prevalence, and the incidence of disease. Morbidity pertains to those that have the disease. Mortality are those that have died from the disease. Prevalence is the number of individuals with active cases of disease, and incidence are those with new cases over a period of time. On this graph here, we have HIV prevalence and incidence from 1980 to 2010. On the Y axis we have the number of cases and on the x-axis we have year. The red line represents active HIV AIDS infections so this is our prevalence and the blue line represents new infections which is our incidence. What you will see is that the red line represents that from 1980 to 2010 when you follow the red line it appears as though the cases of HIV have dramatically risen from 1980 to 2010 but what's important to understand is that while while the prevalence has, of course, increased from 
the 80s to the early 10s, the number of new HIV infections have actually gone down due to public awareness. There are different types of disease patterns. One of them is known as a sporadic disease, which is seen occasionally across the globe. So this includes rabies, the bubonic plague, as well as tetanus. An endemic disease is one that's constantly present in a population within a very specific geographic location, like malaria. An epidemic is when you have a large number of cases that occur in a short period of time within a certain geographic location. So this would be a great example of seasonal influenza. A pandemic is an epidemic that occurs across the globe. This includes COVID-19 as well as HIV AIDS. Pathogens require reservoirs, which are living organisms or non-living sites that can harbor organisms. An individual capable of transmitting a pathogen without displaying symptoms is often referred to as a carrier. There are two different types of carriers. A passive carrier is an individual that is contaminated with the pathogen and can transmit it to another host. Usually they are not infected. An active carrier is an individual infected with the pathogen who can infect another host. They can be asymptomatic carriers who are individuals that do not have any signs or symptoms of disease despite being infected, or they can be symptomatic, in which they are overtly expressing the signs and symptoms of disease. There are different ways that a disease can be transmitted through direct contact, like touching, kissing, sexual intercourse, or droplet sprays, or indirect, like touching contaminated fomites, and a fomite is an inanimate surface or object like a desk or a door. They can be transmitted through droplets, like coughs or sneezes, through vehicles like contaminated food, um, contaminated water or even contaminated air, or they can be transmitted through vectors. These are usually biological, but they can be mechanical as well. A biological vector would be, for example, a mosquito in which the microorganism lives part of its life cycle, like in another insect before it's transmitted to a human host like malaria. A mechanical vector would be like a fly that lands on dog poop that contains microorganisms and then goes and lands on your food, carrying that microorganism organism before flying away and depositing it on your surface and into your mouth it goes. Quarantining is a term we all know a little bit more about, but it is an isolation to prevent disease transmission. It's usually important for individuals to quarantine if they've been exposed or been suspected to have been exposed to a contagious pathogen. Quarantine depends on the incubation period of the disease as well as the evidence of infection. Healthcare-associated infections, also referred to as nosocomial infections, are acquired in healthcare facilities. These include hospitals, retirement homes, and prisons, in which you have a large community of people in a small space. These usually have increased incidences of cases just due to the environment as well as characteristics of the individuals that are found in the population. Emerging and re-emerging infectious diseases are monitored by WHO as well as the Center for Disease Control and Prevention or the CDC. Emerging infectious diseases is a disease that is one, new to the population and two, has an increased prevalence in the previous 20 years. A re-emerging infectious disease is a disease that has increased in frequency after a period of decline. But the problem is that while there are many cases that are reported, there are several unreported cases just due to lack of health care, lack of access to health care, as well as other factors that can come into play.